Welcome to the best kept secret video cast and podcast from Centricity. If you're a B2B service professional, use our five-step process to go from the grind of chasing every sale to keeping your pipeline full with prospects knocking on your door to buy from you. We give you the freedom of time and a life outside of your business. Each episode features an executive from a B2B services company sharing their provocative perspective on an opportunity that many of their clients are missing out on. It's how we teach our clients to get executive decision makers to buy without being salesy or spammy. Here's our host, the co-founder and CEO of Centricity, Jay Kingley. I'm Jay Kingley, co-founder and CEO of Centricity. Welcome to another episode of our Best Kept Secret show, where I am happy to welcome Thomas Bertels, partner in PurposeWorks Consulting, which is a boutique management consulting firm serving companies up to 5,000 employees and $1 billion in revenue. He's on a mission to make work more productive, valuable, impactful, and meaningful. Thomas is based in Summit, New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Thomas, I want to share just a little story with you as we get started. I was 21 years old. I had just graduated as a chemical engineer from Cornell. I had accepted employment with the DuPont company. I moved down to Augusta, Georgia, working in Aiken, South Carolina. It was my first week of work. One of the guys in the department in his early 60s was retiring. They did the obligatory uh, little speeches, coffee and cake in the afternoon. I didn't want to go because I didn't even know the guy, but I was told you had to show up. So I stayed in the back of the room, listened to everyone speak highly, listened to his gratefulness and appreciation. Now, about two hours later, I was going up to my office on the second floor, took the back staircase. And as I started to walk up the stairs, who should be coming down this particular gentleman. Now he's in his 60s, I'm like 21. What was going through my mind was awkward, but we met in the landing and I felt like I had to say something to him. So I congratulated him on his retirement and I said to him, it must feel great to look back on such a wonderful career and everything that you had accomplished because at 21, that was what I was hoping the professional world was like. And you can imagine my shock and dismay when he said the following to me. He said, I have hated every minute that I have been here. This has been an absolute hellhole. I can't wait to get out of here. I wish I could have done this years ago, but I had bills to pay. And with that, he smiled. He continued on his way. I went up to my office. I stared at a drywall with nothing on it for an hour, fighting back the tears because I knew I was going to spend the majority of my waking hours as an adult at work. And this is what I had to work to look forward to. Thomas, from that instant, I began to wonder, is work broken? And what is the problem? So let me put it to you. Have things changed in the 35 years uh, since uh, that happened, maybe even closer to 40. But or are we still fighting this issue of a broken work environment? In my view, right, I think how we, I think, define work and design jobs um, really fails to pay attention 
to what makes work intrinsically motivating, right? I mean, the reality is like most of the times when we create a job or a job description, we copy and paste, right? We take something we had before and we replicate that, right? And so as a result, right, as people go from, let's stay in an industry, go from one employer to the next, right? You, you see like the same kind of like job designs perpetuating themselves. And, and the reality is that we very rarely design work to be good for people. And, and what I mean by good is, um, that there is a couple of, of factors that determine how we experience work. Do we experience work to be intrinsically motivating? And uh, six factors, right? So one is, is the work meaningful in itself, right? Are we, are we contributing to something that's bigger than ourselves that matters to others, right? Are we responsible for an entire work product from beginning to end, or do we just do a small sliver of that? Right? Can we use a variety of different skills? Do we have autonomy uh, in doing the work, which means can we decide how and when we do the work? Do we get feedback from the work itself, right? And do we have the right tools and technology? And so if, if these factors are not present in a the job, then that tends to be a bad job. That tends to be not very motivating, which leads to high turnover, low employee engagement. And, and you know, so you can imagine the scenario, right? If you take somebody like yourself, right? You start your career, you're motivated, right? You got skills. And you're being put into a role like that, right? What happens over time, right? You become depressed, you become resigned, right? Eventually, right? If you see other options, you leave, right? So I think the fundamental issue I think that we have is that the work that the way that we created the work is not designed for humans. And you now the pandemic, I think, is, is now really forcing people to, to rethink how work gets done and where work gets done. And so I think it's really uh, a great opportunity, I think, for employers to rethink that and redesign work to be fit for humans. Yeah, Thomas, one of the things that I have seen is there's a very, what I'm going to call task-driven view of how we think about work. So I'm running a department of some kind. I look at everything that I am supposed to get accomplished as told to me by the people above me. And I say, how much headcount do I need to get all this work done? And then I, you know, fight for the headcount in my budget and then you're right. We put together a job description, which is what? It's really about, hey, this is the work that I need you to accomplish. But because it doesn't address any of these other factors that you're talking about, I think it breeds over time, not just a I'm going to be looking for greener pastures, but a cynicism that says it's all the same everywhere. So now I might as well get the most money for doing the least amount of work in the best conditions possible, because there's nothing more than that. Do you think that's a fair view of how so many companies are thinking about it incorrectly? Yeah, I think I think that's that's absolutely correct. All right, I think we're we're looking at, um, but it's already in the title of the HR function, right? It's human resources, right? It's re resources we use, right? Uh, and, and I think that's, I think fundamentally, I think misses the point as like what people, um, want from work and, and increasingly expect from work, right? Which is work to have a purpose to be something more meaningful. And the bottom line is, right? Having meaningful work and, and being productive, uh, but there's no, there's no contradiction, right? You can have, you can have the cake and, and eat it too. So Thomas, given that we've just talked about, the issues and the challenges. How should companies be thinking about doing this in a very different way? What is the right mindset and the path forward to fix this issue? And it's that old saw, right? Everybody says, what is the most valuable asset that I have in my business? It's my people. And yet 
we don't design what we want them to do to be consistent with their most valuable asset. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I think you got to look at um, you got to look at the work that you have as a product and the employee as the customer, right? And and I think that I think leads you down a really interesting path, right? So in order to attract these customers, what do you have to offer? I think you have to offer a meaningful experience, right? That that's intrinsically motivating for people. And and how you get there is surprisingly simple, right? It's really around like let's organize people around a work product that they can own and be responsible for beginning to end, right? Let's cross train people, right? So that you know we understand and can do the work that you know the job that happens before and after, right? Let's create a different a direct customer relationship. So we're not relying on the supervisor to give feedback, but the work itself provides information as to how we're doing. You got to have effective technology, right? But, but those are some of like the design principles that you can apply to deliver more intrinsically motivating work. Um, and interestingly enough, maybe some of your listeners are familiar with that. It's like the lean philosophy, right? That, that companies like Toyota have brought to bear, right? It's the same principles. Right? So I think we're basically just applying, I think, what, what companies in the industrial space, I think, have figured out a long time ago, right? That doesn't really... You, right, it, it's it's a it's a fallacy to think about we're just hiring people for their hands because we're getting the brain for free, right? And so let's let's activate that, let's tap into that. And you know, I think the difference, right? I'm sure as you've seen, the difference between having an engaged workforce, right, that owns the work and feels accountable, and people who are just there to get a paycheck, right? It's a difference like day and night. I, I actually love that, uh, which is what you just said on the uh, we we hire the hands. And we get the brain for free. How about we hire the brain and we get the hands for free? Yeah. Uh, and boy, that, that I think really changes how one looks at it. So it's such a, a critical issue. So many businesses really struggle. But as you point out, once you change your mindset, then the path forward in terms of how you need to organize the work and, and what your guiding principles are and how you make it meaningful and purposeful now seems attainable, but let's try to understand the impact when you make that shift. And let's start with the decision maker. Maybe it's the CEO, a business unit uh, manager, uh, even someone in a support function like HR. When you make this change to make work meaningful and purposeful, What's it do for them individually? What's it do for them emotionally? Well, I think what it does for them emotionally and, and, and from a business perspective, right? I think, I think it has a, I think it has a tremendous impact on employee turnover. And if you think about like, right, the situation that we're in today, we're in a war for talent, right? And I think the pandemic, right? A lot of people had a lot of time to sit at home and think about what they want from work and what they get from work. And they've seen that there's oftentimes a big discrepancy, right? And yes, the grass might not always be greener on the other side, but I think a lot of people are tempted to explore that, right? And uh, right, anybody who's, you know, had responsibility for people and, and had to hire and, and, and find new people, right, understands what kind of burden that is. And so I think you're, you're, you're right, if you got the right players on the team, you want to keep them. And so I think there's a little bit peace of mind, right? Because people that are, have an intrinsically motivating job are a lot less likely to, to change and, and look for greener pastures, right? But beyond that, I think going down this work design path, I think it, it unlocks a tremendous potential in terms of organizational effectiveness and productivity, right? You break down the functional barriers. 
You have teams that, that own the work from beginning to end. So now you need less supervisors and layers and layers of hierarchy to make sure that the work gets done right. Right. Uh, and, and you also eliminate a lot of work that's not mission critical. And the other side benefit you get, especially if you're in a customer facing, um, uh, if, if a lot of your work is customer facing, um, you get a dramatically improved customer experience because you create a direct relationship between the team that does the work and the customer. And, and so that opens the door to every employee being an antenna out there for, you know, what customers want and, and really uh, by providing like input that you can then use to, to be more innovative and differentiate in the marketplace. So we're, we're talking about the impact on both recruiting and retaining our staff. And after all, we've been hearing for years and years how we are increasingly becoming a dominant knowledge-based economy. And in that world, if I don't have the staff, as we were mentioning earlier, right, hire the brains, get the hands for free, then I am not going to be competitive. But you, you also put something else interesting on the table, which is this idea that uh, the employees are really representing the company in the marketplace to clients. The employees are your brand. They represent what that brand stands for. So it's not just about recruiting and retaining employees. It's also about the consequence of how that helps me get more customers and hold on to those customers for a much long period of time. So you're talking re uh, significant revenue benefits and uh, significant benefits on the cost side. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, and, and you know, I mean, it's, it's, you can put that in, in real numbers, right? So I think companies have gone down this path. Uh, turnover basically becomes non-existent, right? Uh, it, it drops dramatically. And you also get a substantial reduction in costs, right? Because if you think about all the, right, all the investment that goes into the hierarchy, and, and all the supervisors and managers and directors and senior directors and associate vice presidents and so forth that you need to manage the work, right? So that typically collapses um, and, and you can really create a much flatter organization, which then also becomes much more responsive, right? So so I think you become more responsive in the marketplace, you become more accessible to customers, right? So, so there's, there's really literally like an endless list of benefits that you can tap into. Um, and it's always in your control, right? Because we ultimately, right, can say, you know, we want this job to look differently. You have put forward, I think, a really compelling alternative to how you can make work uh, meaningful and purposeful compared to what is, if I can say, pretty much the status quo, which is the antithesis of that. And we've talked about the benefits and the benefits are compelling. So if I'm sitting here uh, running a company or a significantly sized business unit and I'm saying, okay, Thomas, you've made that compelling case. Give me the five things that I need to do to implement what it is that you're saying. What would that look like? I think the first thing you got to do is you got to make sure that you have leadership, buy-in and commitment. Um, and it, it boils down to, is, is there alignment between the worldview of management um, and, and what's, what this approach requires? So if you think that people are lazy and, and might need to be constantly supervised, um, and, and if, they're, if they're not constantly supervised, right, they're, they're going to screw things up. Uh, that's not going to work, right? Because the, the fundamental premise is that the people who do the work are the ones that have to redesign it and own it. So if you're not willing to let that let them have that ownership, right? Uh, that's not going to work. So you got to make sure that that you know management philosophy is aligned with that, and also that the leadership team is behind that. Because this is not easy, right? We know that you know dealing with humanoids, right, and, and driving real change in organizations, that's not easy. It's much right, easier to buy a piece of technology, 
but you know, they're sustainable, right? I think the second thing you got to do is you really got to assess how people across the organization experience work um, and see where the where the weak spots are. Because it's not going to be across the board universal that right, every job is horrible, right? You might actually have a lot of jobs that are designed well, right? But the question is like, are there uh, areas in the organization, right, where you really have problems with a job design uh, from a work design, job design perspective? And so right, we're using uh, a survey-based approach that basically measures how motivating people experience their work, which points us towards where these, these areas um, of opportunities are. And, and then right, once you know where the opportunity is, the third step is to really scope that out and identify a couple of lighthouse projects where you can demonstrate the power of this. And uh, so that means, right, scoping it out, right, again, making sure that, that people understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, right, that this is not about right, cutting headcounts and so forth. Um, and then you got to basically provide people with the, with the training and, and coaching to do this redesign work. And then lastly, I think once you get the design implemented, right, it really goes into making this sustainable, right? And so that goes into, right, investing in cross-training employees, and also making sure that the organization is prepared to, you know, go through that valley of despair that that always happens when you do a major change, right? Initially, the performance will always drop until people settle into, right, the new reality and the new rhythm. So that, in my view, are the sector five steps you would have to take in order to, to make work design a reality. You've given us uh, so much to think about. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to actually learn a bit more about Thomas. Are you wondering how much longer you have to grind and chase for every lead conversation and client? Would you like clients to knock on your door so you no longer have to pitch, follow up, and spam decision makers? Well, Centricity's Category 1 program uses a proven five-step process that will help you get in front of the decision makers you need by spending less time doing all the things you hate. It's not cold calling, cold email, cold outreach on LinkedIn, or any other social media or even spending money on ads, but it does have a 35 times higher ROI than any of those things, leveraging your expertise and insights at your prospects and network value. The best part, even though you'll see results in 90 days, you get to work with the Centricity team for an entire year to make sure you have all the pieces in place and working so you can start having freedom of time and a life outside of your business. So email time at centricityb2b.com to schedule an 18-minute call to learn more. Welcome back. We're talking to Thomas Bertels, a partner in PurposeWorks Consulting. And uh, Thomas, I'd like to find out a little bit more about you and your business. Let's start with what are the pain points that you help your clients get rid of and why do they need you to get rid of that pain? Well, the fundamental pain point that we're trying to address is that that work is broken, right? And that organizations really need to redesign work uh, to be more effective and also to attract and retain right, the key talent. And so that's the mission that we're on, right? To make work more productive and valuable, but also meaningful and impactful. The number one reason I always remind people that we hire another firm, particularly in the professional services arena, is not what they do, but how good they are at doing that. So let me hit that one on the head with you, Thomas. What is it that makes you great at what it is that you do? I think what makes us great is that we tailor our approach 
to the client's capabilities and culture. Because every organization is different. They all have right, a different level of resource. They have a different history, right? And so it, it got to be fit for purpose. Um, the second thing we do is we use a co-design approach because, again, right, we realize that the client has to have ownership and skin in the game as we're doing this. If this becomes it's like the purpose works design or solution, then we failed, mm -hmm. right? It has to be theirs. And, and the third thing that we do is that we really get their people to do the design work and, and the, the intent there is for them to own the solution, right? Which unlocks continuous improvement and makes it sustainable and viable in the long run. I encourage everybody to go on to LinkedIn, look up uh, Thomas Bertels, get a feel for his extensive experience, his education, and I think you'll begin to understand the foundation on which he's built his business and why he is outstanding at what he does. That said, Thomas, I, I want to ask you a slightly different question. I'd like to understand what happened over the years, if you will, be it in your personal life or your professional life, that would help us understand why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. So I spent the first two decades of my consulting career um, working with a lot of companies, right, from right, Fortune 50 to, to smaller organizations. Uh, to improve business processes and create efficiencies, right? So um, a lot of like lean and Six Sigma work where you, where you look at business processes. And, and what I realized um, is that in most of these change efforts, we really, right, we do everything, right? We look at the customer, we look at the process, we look at the strategy, and, and we do right, the redesign work. And we forget to pay attention to what happens to the organization and specifically the people who have to do the jobs, right? That have been changed by what we do. Um, and, and I realized also, right, working with clients that a lot of right, jobs are not motivating, right? It's like, but people do them, right? But they don't like doing them. And as I became familiar with the work design framework, which has been around for five decades, right, um, I really realized that that's the missing piece to improve uh, organizational effectiveness and create meaningful work for people. This is really just the start of the conversation on a topic that is this important and critical. I am sure that a lot of people who are listening in would love to reach out and continue to dialogue with you. So how best for them to reach out and contact you. Yeah, the best uh, the best way might be an email, right? At thomas.bertels at purpose.works. Uh, you can also call me at 917-754-8047. Um, or you can visit our website at www.purpose.works. And we will put all of Thomas's contact information along with the link to his LinkedIn profile in the show notes and as an insert into the video. Make it easy for everyone. Now, Thomas, uh, I have really learned a lot, but even more than learned, it's very inspirational uh, in terms of wanting to go out and make this happen. And, and, and I really thank you for coming on today and, uh, and doing that for our audience. But I'm, I can't shake this belief that I think maybe you could do just a little bit more, uh, make this an even more valuable experience for our listeners. I'm thinking there's got to be a gift or something you can give the people who are listening to just add even more value. What do you say? Well, Jay, you're twisting my arm here uh, on, on, on air. Um, but so one thing I could offer to your listeners, right, if they're interested in exploring um, whether there's an opportunity in their organization, um, 
that we could do a free initial assessment um, using right, our survey methodology to help them get some insights into like how their team experiences uh, the work. So we'd be happy to do that. And, uh, you know, when they reach out, I'd be uh, happy to, to arrange for that. All right, listeners, this is what you're going to do. You're going to either send Thomas an email or give him a call. You're going to say, Thomas, I heard you on the Best Kept Secret Show. I want uh, that free gift in the survey and point me in the right direction. So let's take advantage of the generosity of Thomas's gift. Thomas, I want to thank you so much for being a terrific guest on the Best Kept Secret Show. To our listeners, let's continue to crush it out there. Until next time.